you'd like to turn with me today to the book of Luke and chapter 14 verse 25 let me read it to you it's uh, 25 to verse 33 it says now great multitudes went out with him the him of course being Jesus and he turned and said to them if anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother or father wife or children brothers and sisters yes in his life also he cannot be my disciple and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple then verse 28 for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first count the cost and whether he has enough to finish it lest after he's laid the foundation he's not able to finish but all those will sit begin to mock him saying this man began to build was not able to finish or what king going out to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet he who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still way off he sends a delegation asks conditions of peace so likewise whoever of you does who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple Well, the good news today, I'm not really talking about discipleship. So uh, this is not going to be a pressured one here and saying, oh, what have I got to give up today? But uh, we're talking about counting cost. We're having David Schaefer. For those who don't know David Schaefer, David Schaefer joined COC 38 years ago, uh, built a great church in Port Macquarie. I mean, a great church in Port Macquarie. Port Macquarie, Min used to go there, she'll tell you all about it, Uh, she was blessed there and um, but you know it doesn't matter how you start in life with your plans, it's really how you finish that's going to count and that's what he's talking about here with discipleship, he said if we don't plan for life you know it's because we don't have to plan for the good times, I think we've got to plan for the hard times If you and I were going to build a building, you know, and Lindsay and I built two houses, not personally, but uh, we've, we've, someone else has always built it for us, but you know, you've got to sit down there, plan it, get an get architect in or, or get a draftsman in and say, this is what we want, this is how we want it, and, the, and you've got to go and get the, the council, you get it all. You've, you know, you've got to sit down. There's a lot of process. Now, David does it every day of his life, but... Um, and that's probably why he looks so old. Uh, just the sheer pressure of it. He's bigger than I am. I'm glad you reminded me of that. I'll stop right there. Just to see if you're all listening this morning. But, but you've you, you got to count the cost of it. But I'm amazed that we wouldn't go and do something as basic as have a house without planning. And yet we can go through life without ever thinking about what the future could hold. Now, there's no problem with the future if only good things happen to you. But I don't see anywhere where we're guaranteed of getting good things. And in fact, this is what discipleship is all about. He says, count the cost. He said, you know, uh, because when you go to war and when bad things happen, he said, will you still be able to give glory to me? 
as a disciple in the hard times as well as the good times. He said, count the cost. You know, and, and I think that you know, many times we, we don't count the cost. Now, as we're having David Schaefer now, I've been reading about David's bio. Now, I know, I've known David for 38 years. Uh, he was only two at the time. Uh, I knew when we started the church. And, uh, but I didn't know everything when he's alive. I mean, I've, I've been in his house. I've preached in his church. I've done men's camps for David. But I didn't realize what he had been through till he came here and spoke in our church. I knew some of the things, of course. He talks about going through seven crises of his life. And that was only in his first book. And he's gone through a few more since then. I mean, seven periods of, of grief. And, and for those who don't know David, you know, his, his first wife, uh, Marilyn, who, you know, he'd been lumped, and they had two children. His, wife, his first wife died of cancer. Now, for any pastor to lose his wife, who's been an integral part of a lifelong friend, that's got to be hard. But not long up. But at the same time, his, his daughter, you know, she has a kidney issues, gets a kidney transplant, and ends up with cancer. And, uh, I mean, she gets a, tr- a transplant. You think, wow, you know, God has spared her life. You know, I mean, just getting a, a transplant is not easy. She's on that RBA, that program that used to be on TV in Melbourne about things. She's, she's on there. And then she gets cancer and dies. I mean, if you're a Pentecostal, you've got to have the gift of healing and your beliefs really challenged at this point of time. How do you, how do you handle losing you know, your eldest daughter and your wife? Then if you think that's bad, David himself gets cancer. Got healed. He gets remarried and his wife now carries cancer, lung cancer. I mean, since David, I mean, when David was here, I, I think uh, I remember the first first message he preached. I, I think I bore my eyes out. I thought, thank goodness he's got rid of all those stories. Comes to the night service and he's got more. I think you know he doesn't tell us so much. I bore my eyes out again, and then he comes to the Monday night, and I think, thank God <laughs> that it's Monday night. And and he tells more stories. I bore my eyes out again. I don't think I've ever cried so much in front of a uh, in, in church. And certainly not with any preacher affecting me so much with those dramatic stories and dramatic testimonies of, of how he overcome. So when we're having a seminar here about hitting the ball out of the park, he's done that. You know, he left here and since he's been here, he's, already, he's had another heart attack. He's, he's had three stints put in. And he's still, go- I mean, he's still going strong. I talked to him on Friday. It was just on Friday. And he's, he's going, you know, he's positive. You know, he's a, per- he's a person who's learnt to handle pressure. But they're only the health pressures. So the problem is that he, go- he went, gave up his church, started another church. Because when the cancer came and everything happened, gave up that church. And then suddenly find himself without a job. Without the calling that he's so, then he has to rebuild his life at 60. Now that's hard work. And so when David talks about, you know, he said, David's issue is he said, a lot of people, you know, have never built for the future. They live in the presence 
and then or the past. And they let the present and the past dictate their, li- their lives and they're not prepared for what comes in the future. You know, I believe that we've got to be learn to become future-looking people. Now, we've, got to, we've got to build for it. I mean, some people, you know, for instance, you know, in this church, you know, we believe in th- four major things that we keep on praying against f- for health. The reason we believe in well, three of them are the biggest killers in Australia. Cancer, heart attack, and, the, well, and mental illness being the third one. Uh, not so much a killer, but it's certainly a problem in almost nearly every family today. You know, we pray for diabetes every, every week, every day. Because, you know, at some stage, we've, we will fight that enemy. If it's not ourselves, it'll be someone close to us. But if we haven't prepared our prayer life, the reason we build it, because we're building the spirit. Every, every we say we're a cancer-free zone. We're, we're having people now ring us up and say, please pray for us. People are getting healed now that we don't even know. And we're seeing some extra, amazing, dramatic Insisted. But see, we're building for something because we don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, I've just made a decision that, you know, um, I feel like a bit like Caleb, you know. I, I, you know, we will take the land no matter what, what age it comes to take it. You know, people ask me, are you going to retire? Well, I said, well, I would retire except for one small problem. God hasn't stopped calling me. If God stops calling me, I'll retire. Now, I don't think the call ever stops, so I don't see retirement as an option. So, and I don't intend, and I don't intend for you to be carrying me in with a wheelchair, you know, and propping me up on the, on the pulpit, and putting a tape on with a, a cutout, you know. So, <laughs> Peter's still preaching. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I believe you've got to be like you've, you've got to believe for it. You've got to build it. It's, it's see, faith makes a difference. Now, this is a message with a little bit of a difference, but uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, we've we've got a plan. Yeah, I'm amazed at God when you, we've been doing a few baby dedications because we've got um, our granddaughter here, so we've three generations in the front row here. But I'm amazed that when, when we get children, that God doesn't give us a plan. I mean, I, I was thinking about it. I reckon that, you know, God should pull it, put in every baby like a, 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 little, a little pill, you know, that goes out. So when they do the first poop, right, you get hold of this pill and you pull it out and you get this hologram comes out, right? Something, something like, hi, I am Gabriel. I'm here to tell you about the plans for your son. You should call him Derek. I mean, think of how easy would that be, you know? And, uh, and this is Derek's plan for the next 70 years. After that, he'll have to get it himself. Okay. <laughs> you know? But I, but I, I, you know, but I could just imagine that happening. But the problem would be, I would say something like this: Look, um, do you have drawings? Because I'm not really good with words. You know, like I, you know, when, when I get those uh, those instruction leaflets for anything you've got to put together, I never read the directions. I just look at the pictures. Now. I've learned that you've got to look at the pictures really carefully. So if Gabriel come up and said, Peter, this is the plans for your firstborn son. This is what it'll be. I'd be saying, have you got pictures? And you know what Gabriel do? He'd strike me dumb and say, Lindsay, <laughs> this is the plan. <laughs> 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 
But, you know, I've been thinking about it. I thought, you know, see, we think sometimes that God's got a plan for our life. And we don't have to worry about it. If we had to worry about our plans and, and, and God gave us plans and we didn't have to worry about it, then God would have to give us that pill, wouldn't he? But see, he's given us something called a free will. And, and, and God has planned and predestined our life, but we have got to fit in. And find, you know, There's certain things that you just don't have to ask God about, like, God, what will I have for breakfast this morning? I think God says, who cares? <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I'm not a Twitter person or a Facebook person because, you know, you, now, forgive me, please. Yeah, because all you see on Twitter and Facebook is, here I am having breakfast. And I'm thinking, I don't really care. <laughs> you know, oh, here I am at the airport. Who cares? <laughs> here I am coming off the airport. Who cares? Here I am having dinner. Who cares? Here I am having, having lunch. Who cares? Like, tell me something that's important. You know, I don't really care about what you're See, there's certain things that, you know, you don't have to tell me about. Hey, Peter, you're my pastor. I thought I'd ring you up and tell you what I'm having for breakfast today and see if that's okay. Is it kosher? Look. But, you know, some people treat God like that. They think that, you know, God's got to talk to them there. You know, see, we write our own story. The question is, what type of story are we writing? Because if you're a story writer, you realize there's a number of genres. But I reckon there's three stories that we write. Number one, I reckon the first genre that we write is the whodunit. You know, we all like murder mysteries, don't we? Some people like those. And, you know, there's, there's a genre in murder mystery of the forensic scientists. And they give all these details, you know, like, uh, you know, such and such. You know, I, I don't read those books. I mean, like, page after page after this boring stuff. Like, where's the action? But some people like it. And, you know, I reckon the scribes and the Pharisees, they thought they were the forensic scientists of life. And, that, and they were finding out the murder mysteries of life. You know, why you were that way and what's killing you and what's happening to you. And this is all the reason. And they had Jesus all worked out. They just got it wrong. I mean, that's the story of Job, isn't it? I mean, Job, uh, he suddenly loses his wife. Well, he doesn't lose his wife. I should say that's the only thing he didn't lose. He loses his children. He loses his, his finances. He, lo- he loses a lot, including his health. And his three best friends decide they'd comfort him. Elipaz, Bildad, and Zophar. With names like that, they should have stayed away, if you ask me. (laughs) But they come down, and Job is so grief-stricken that they don't talk to him for seven days. I'm sure that Job had wished they hadn't talked to him for seven months. But after seventh day, it got too much, and they did this forensic who did it with him. Now, Job, you couldn't have lost your money. You couldn't have lost your children unless you were sinning. Now, you need to confess your sins, Job, or it's going to continue on. And Job said, look, I'm really racking my brain. You know, I I can't, I don't think I've done anything. 
But they, they, they just, they continually get in because they're the forensic science. But the problem with forensic science is we don't know everything that goes on in life. Like I know that you know, what you sow is what you reap. But after all, the scientific method fails. Not everything is caused because you did something. Sometimes stuff just happens. I mean, some people say, why? I never ask the why question. Sometimes I don't want the answer, but a lot of times it's just unanswerable. See, Job never understood, and his three friends and a fourth comes along, but they never understood it. the real issue was not about Job. It was about a conversation that God had with Satan. And that launched a catastrophe into Job's life. See, Job doesn't have to worry about why it's happening. He just has to learn to handle the satanic. What he's got to be careful is that he doesn't sin with his own mouth and doesn't allow that thing to change his life. I mean, Job, it didn't matter what happened to Job, he still planned his life and he ended up with twice as mad as the beginning. He never sinned with his mouth. He never cursed somebody else. He, he didn't even curse himself. He did curse the day that he was born, but he didn't actually curse himself. But yet when you read the book of Job, you realize that Job understands more about spiritual warfare than I would say any other person in the Bible apart from maybe the Apostle Paul in writing. He talks about the place where Satan dwells. He talks about things that took science for centuries to discover, for millenniums to discover. He talked about the dwelling places. He talked about how. He talked about the spirits. He talked about how they frequent places. You know, he, he talks in metaphor that we just begin to grasp. He, he, but he speaks about Satan more than anything else. If he hadn't have went through his crisis, he would never learn warfare. See, the question we've got to ask ourselves in life is this. Number one, are we ready for, have we planned for warfare? If you're going to plan life, you're going to say, hey, life is about warfare. We were born into a hostile country, environment. I mean, Jesus might have won the battle, but they're still here. He's going to take them away, but it's not yet. We, we, you know, he's left them in the land so we could fight them in the land and discover what spiritual warfare is so that we would learn to value spiritual things. See, the problem we have, we think, well, if we have enough rules and regulations we will be able to do the right thing. Well, let's go back to the beginning. Adam, Eve, perfect people, no sin. God said, I'm going to give you the law. It's going to be very simple. Eat, don't eat. You can eat of anything except this tree. I mean, that's a pretty simple law. I mean, wouldn't you think any dummy could keep that? What do you think? What do you do? Would eat that tree if God's told you not to? But see, they had not learnt warfare yet, and so some slick-looking character comes down from above and starts to have a conversation, and starts to tempt them, and starts to make sense 
and he deceives them into eating of the tree of the knowledge of to break the one law. If perfect people can't keep one law at work, then you and I have got a lot to learn. So God has put us into a world that you know, we already know we're corrupt. We know we're not perfect. We never pretend to be perfect, but, we, but we're learning to progress towards perfection. We're learning to, to say there's certain things in life that I will no longer do. There's certain things that are good for you. It's good to love people. The one thing I've learned about life is that everybody likes to be loved. They might have a few problems of embarrassment. They might have a few problems of reservation. They might have a few. But but deep down, every single person wants to be loved. It doesn't matter what nationality, it doesn't matter how well you go back in history, you don't have to go and learn cultural studies to become a missionary. You've just got to love people. Because love is God. Love is what we're creating. Love is what it's, it's easy. He said to the disciples, He said, All these laws are for one thing love. He deconstructed the science of theology into one thing described said, If you love, you've got it. Our problem is that we've got to reconstruct it now, don't we? Because, you know, what is love? Well, then you go back to the Ten Commandments again, don't you? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, you know. Uh, love your mother, honour your parents, you know, don't steal, don't commit adultery. And then you, you, and you start, Paul, you know, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, forgiveness, honour, all this, we start to reconstruct who we're meant to be. But see... We are people who've got to learn to love. If we're going to build something for the kingdom of God, we've got to learn to love. And the issue is not learning to love the ones that want to be loved, it's learning to love the ones that don't want to be loved and are hard to love. Count the cost. You know, and I've got to be honest with you, there's certain people that I would find it very hard to love. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> but I'm sure, have you, has anyone found anyone like that in your life? Yes. Okay, this, you and I are the only ones that are agreeing here. <laughs> the rest of you uh, are having a trouble even agreeing with you and I. <laughs> See, but I've learned this don't try and love somebody who's going to make you turn bitter. You know, I have built a couple of churches now, but and I've gone wherever they've asked me to go. And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't know whether it was going some places I'd make it or not. I remember going to America and um, Mark had asked us to go, David had asked us to go. I felt God said go. But I remember my prayer really was like this, God, if I fail... And failure is always a possibility. God doesn't mind us having an odd failure. There's something about failure that does strengthen us. Failure is not totally bad. If you don't make a few mistakes, you don't get tough. And of course, I'm associate pastor of the church, running the Bible college. And we had some reputation, lost that, but that's, we had some reputation back in those days. People knew us. I thought, what happens if we blow it all? 
the question I ask, could I still be sweet with God? If I fail miserably and they tar and feather me as being an Australian in American soil, will I handle it? See, this is to me the, the bottom line. I ask the bottom line questions. And, you know, count the cost. To me, that's the cost. The cost of reputation, the cost of my heart with God. And I felt that if I was going to blow it, so I said to Lindsay, I said, when we go there, Lindsay, we're going to enjoy ourselves no matter what happens because it was a struggling church financially, a few other areas. And I said, I said one, one thing, we're going to enjoy ourselves. So, every, so, we made a, so we made a decision. Every Thursday, we'd go snow skiing. Well, Lindsay didn't put that on, but anyhow. <laughs> Lindsay had to work so I could go snow skiing. Okay, that's <laughs> <laughs> she was a maitre d' at a restaurant. Yeah, so, but, we, but every Thursday, we, you know, for uh, you know, 14 weeks of a year, we'd go snow skiing. Take a group up there, we'd go snow skiing and... Uh, we enjoyed it. Yeah, but I said, I'm going to enjoy it. So whatever happens, you know, what was America like? Love the skiing. <laughs> Could always talk about one positive thing about America. Love the skiing. You know? <laughs> How's it? Love the skiing. You know? <laughs> How's the family? Love the skiing. <laughs> <laughs> see, but see, we, we planned. We didn't plan for failure. But we were stupid to think that in this battle we would not fail. But I know pastors have never planned for failure. They've gone out there. They've used every dime they had. They've taken their family out there. And they get in the middle of nowhere. And all they end up is bitter and no longer in church. Because they never counted the cost. Because we're at war. You can't go to war and not lose somebody. But Peter... It says a thousand will follow from my left and a thousand will follow my life. Psalm 91. Yeah, well, go and tell that to the ones that died all throughout the Bible in battle. Now, that's a promise that you can stand on in war and God will honor it. But it doesn't mean to say some will not stand on that promise and some will not believe it and some will fail. And, you, and then, you know, it's a cost. I'd hate to be the prime minister, the president or the king that sends troops to war because I think the cost would be terrific emotionally. When you think of young men dying. Derek and I went to see the film of the Vietnam War. Was it um, Long Tan? It's a... Hey? What was it called? Drawing Close, was it? Yeah, whatever the name of it. But anyhow, it's the Battle of Long Ten. <laughs> For those who don't know the Battle of Long Ten, it was uh, it's 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 a great film to see if you don't mind violence. Uh, but 180 Australians went into battle against 2,000 regular Vietnamese soldiers. The interesting part about it was that. They didn't. They sent one group in that they accidentally come across them. They ran out of bullets, ran out of everything, and and back at base that the head said, 
we can't send out, we've got to keep our troops here, we can't afford to send a helicopter out there. Four times leaders, Australian leaders of different divisions, disobeyed the general, went out and within and became the biggest, uh, most successful operation during the Vietnam War. The Americans immediately gave, within two weeks, the Australians the highest award of honour any country can give, that they can give. It took the Australian government 40 years to recognise that battle. Tells you something about the, the psyche of Australians. Australians were basically saying, two guys, they went out in a helicopter and, um, to, send, to drop down ammunition. And the co-pilot volunteered to go. He said, do you think we're going to make it? He said, no. And he, the guy says, well, you could have told me that before we left. <laughs> well, they did make it. But it, was, but it was the attitude of what we know Aussies for. Mates helping mates at no matter what the cost. That's something Australians have always been proud of. That's something that makes us... We, we would rather disobey a stupid command to save a mate than maybe save something that might not ever happen. Four times. They all did it. But, you know, the reason I went to see the military is you've got to know the cost of war. See, if you never ever see a war picture, you'll never know what a war really is. I know it's war. When people have been to war, they don't want to go back again. They don't want to send their sons in it. You know, every person that battled was 20 to, 20, 20 to 22 years of age. They're kids. The people who go to war, we, we sacrifice our kids for our future. See, that's the count the cost. We've got to be careful, you know, it's a lot better to negotiate. People say, why did Solomon end up with so many wives? I can tell you why. Because he didn't want to go to war. And so he made marriage agreements with every country. And they've, so that no king would want to come and kill his, the husband or the daughter. And you know, it worked. David was a man of war, but Solomon was a man of peace. You can fight battles different ways, but it's the wisdom of God that'll tell you those things. You know, we, we need to say, how am I going to build my life? I'm, going to, I'm asking you, I guess, this morning, you know, are you ready for war? You know, it's too late when you get, the doctor says you've got cancer if you've never fought any battle. If you haven't stayed up all night and prayed, if you haven't every day of your life sat there and, 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 and went to prayer and conditioned yourself, you're not ready for battle. Nobody would... No, you know, Australia is known for special forces. Small numbers that will take on large numbers and go behind enemy territory and live in enemy territory for six months at a time without being seen. 
They're known for that. But they are the most highly trained and pushed in people. I mean, they, they, bring, they show them real life experiences. You know, we must learn to fight in the good times. If you don't learn to pray in the good times, then how are you ever going to warfare with prayer in the bad times? See, that's counting the cost. We have five o'clock prayer meeting in the morning because I tell you what, if you can get up at five o'clock every, every day, then when you don't feel like praying, when you're sick as a dog, when, you know, when you're vomiting over the toilet, whatever, whatever pain you have, you'll still pray because you've learned to deny the flesh. It's just that simple. But we don't build for the future. I mean, I look at David and I realize that, you know, one thing that David has put into his life, David Schaefer, is no matter what he goes through, he's always positive at the end of it. He's learned to guard his mouth, guard his mind, and guard his words. And that's what makes him a survivor. He realized that God has got a plan for his life. God's got a purpose for life. That God wants to save his life. God wants to make his life better than it was before. God wants to bless his life. And he keeps that before him. And it doesn't matter whether he's in a hospital bed or someone's around about him. He believes that. And he's got more evidence to say this is not happening. Yeah. The power of building our story. See, we must build our story. You cannot leave, you know, it's not enough to say, hey, God, you know, all things work together for good. We must build our story. God's given us us responsibility. He's given us us. We are, he's given us and he said, this is your, he said, I own everything. But you're going to, but you literally, you rent it off me or lease it off me. And you'll look after it and I'll come back. And when I come back, I want to find out that it's still going. That's the kingdom of God. You know, our job is to, is to build it down here till he comes. You know, we've got to learn to build. 